Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Nahlman. And I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was now that I talk to Elliot regularly. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. Okay, this is Elliot and Yossi talking about Hanukkah, part one. Okay, Yossi, when I say Hanukkah, you think warmth of firelight. Really? Yep. Sounds like camping in Algonquin. I have memories of the fire burning, the warmth of the house. It's winter, you're chilly, you come in from outside, you light the candles, a luckless smell of burnt oil on the stove because we never had good enough ventilation, and uh, there's some stuff I don't really want to think about, the whole dancing around the menorah thing, but for the most part, it was warm and light, and I really like that. Okay, so I like that too. My thing with Hanukkah is that I like it, it's fun, but it doesn't really bring me a lot of satisfaction on any deeper level than that, because it just seems like there's not a lot of substance there. I'm Why do you have such say. high expectations of Hanukkah? Because because other holidays actually, I think, reach a high level. Jewish know. holidays. Yeah, Jewish holidays. Yeah. But what's wrong with a holiday that just kind of hits some primal notes, like hang out, eat, chill, play dreidel i mean that that's so cool it's like it's like legitimate you know gambling right because then it just feels like an excuse to tailgate a little bit like you know so it's this premise so that i can like eat a lot and like light a fire and stuff but like you want it to be something a bit more than that you know the truth is that when i actually think of the the substance of it, the themes of it it becomes disturbing for me you know well what's like before you get to the the substance Let's just talk about the feel. Okay. So, however we arrived where we got with Hanukkah, somebody actually had to look at all the possibilities of what Hanukkah could be and narrow them down to something that doesn't provide a lot of intentionality. It provides a very, like, sort of a simple engagement. And it does come during solstice pretty much every year. It does provide warmth and light for eight days in the darkness kind of thing i'm still i'm still getting used to the change in in time and light and i i feel like the whole day is dark now it's so short hanukkah maybe is just a a bit of a boost for for our our life in dark moments and that's who needs more symbolism than that i mean i'm still i'm still astonished that there were rabbis of yore and sages and wise people who chose not to make it Anything other than a family celebration, as opposed to an Orange Day parade, marching in front of your uh, in front of your vanquished foes, they could have easily done that. They could have made it a militaristic celebration, and it's not. Okay. Um, before I comment back, I just want to say I love the word "your" and also "vanquished foes." It's like the king with a goblet of mead kind of language. Like I like that. <laughs> but I I I have to say that there's something to it. I might just be being really like typically neurotic and I want the holiday to be a lot more intense and, you know, meaningful and raw, the usual my you know. Okay, so so you want you want to you want Kishka holiday. You yeah, want it to tear, yeah, I want a tear your holiday. gut. Right, I want a Kishka so holiday. So what would what would Hanukkah look like for you then? I don't know. I don't think it's something that I really particularly want to reconstruct. I, I just um, not sure whether. I mean, in the diaspora, so it does feel a little bit like you know, it's a touch of Christmas envy. 
Um, so can, like we can talk about you know, that. We, but we, we'll talk about that later. But um, what would I want it to look like? So I like the idea of the lighting. That's cool. Um, but lighting and eating. So it just feels like a kind of like a romantic candlelight dinner on steroids, right? So you just you're lighting a little and you're eating a little and you're eating and you're lighting. Um, why can't why can't Jews just be like like everyone else once in a while, like normal? Okay. I'll think about that. I mean, to me, I'm still astonished that there were so many ways in which they could have spun the miracle. And there are many ways we can talk about how they ask us to think or conceive of the miracle. To me, the greatest miracle is that they actually made a Jewish holiday that wasn't obsessively religious. I mean, people take it to the nth degree. They, they, they obsess about the quality of the oil. They, they have to make handmade wicks. It has to be the right amount. It has to burn for the right amount of time. It has to be in the right position. It has to face the right way. It has to go from left to right, from one to eight, from eight to one. It has to be all at the same level. It, and then the latkes, of course, so you've got to be the right potatoes. Before you know it, you can go and create a, a tapestry of obsessiveness around Hanukkah too, but that's not the essence of the holiday where something like Passover leads more to that because of the food restrictions. Okay, so fine. I'll tell you what I think. I think the holiday is so chill because the reality of the holiday is so unchill, right? Right. You have, it's weird. What, what do you have? You have this holiday where a bunch of fighters, the Maccabees, Fought. It's true that they fought against the Greeks and they achieved religious liberation, etc. And that's cool. But they also fought other Jews and there was a kind of a civil war and they didn't like the way other Jews behaved. And at least according to the narrative in the book of Maccabees, the big hero, Matichau, actually stabs another Jew and kills him because he doesn't like the fact that he's being a pagan. So it's very nautical. It's very actually tense and judgmental. In fact, it's all the things that modern people would condemn easily. And so what happened? That kind of got sublimated and it's almost like everybody went into a deep sleep and when we all woke up, we're like lighting candles and, you know, getting stoned on latkes. No, no, no. There's a (laughs) biblical precedent for this story. Pinchas. Right, for sure. Stabs two people. Yeah. Who were having an improper, according to him, relationship. They're having sex. And there's no reason to believe that other than the fact that the woman was a foreigner or a heathen, and violated the, the law right. that there was actually something really wrong with it. But let's let's say in his mind it was. But he's a zealot, and everyone knows that. And the response that we have recorded in the Torah is God says, Pinchas, I saw what you did. I'm going to give you my covenant of peace. Which is almost exactly the same thing where the cacophony of zealotry is met with silence. And I think that serenity of Hanukkah is one of those rare islands of time where we get to do just exist sometimes you wonder maybe the rabbis understood that if Matityahu and everyone there had just seen the other people as coexisting and just being if they would have taken a deep breath maybe for five minutes and they wouldn't have been caught up in their obsessiveness they would never have killed each other they wouldn't it wouldn't have happened maybe the Greek threat wasn't as as big as they they made it sound and perhaps the victory wasn't as great as they made it sound. But the reality is, is that if you let people wallow in their zealotry, you end up with, with zealots who self-perpetuate. And the best thing we can do is maybe bring some silence back to the conversation. Well, you know, it depends whether you think otherness is a threat. You know, like, they thought Greek, Greek stuff was threatening because it was antithetical to Jewish culture. So you're in, you're doing Greek philosophy, you're doing gymnastics and the gymnasium and the nude and so on. So, 
you're doing stuff that like Jews are uncomfortable with and it feels like you're selling out your culture for somebody else's culture. Well, hello, that's like what happens now. So what's the dilemma of modern Jews is what culture do I line up my allegiance towards and what am I actually really rawly intense about? Is it Jewish stuff, whatever, however one wants to find that, or is it Western stuff, however one wants to define that? So Machi Chao is very sort of impulsive, instinctive, like that's bad, we're going to get rid of that. But, I mean, even in Israel to this day, there's still this shocking conversation between, you know, some elements of the population that feel that they can justify the assassination of a prime minister because he was willing to make peace or give back land. Like, I don't don't really want to get into that, but just the idea that we cannot imagine, you know, Nazis ever again. But there are still people who are talking about whether it's permitted to kill another Jew if they violate your Jewish value. So Hanukkah is needed more than ever. We more than ever need to have a universal engagement with silence or quiet or just simplicity. Or light. Yeah, and that's right. where that's where I think the light comes from. I think the light the light comes and by the way, let let's not be be the people who say that Hanukkah isn't one of the most diverse concepts and everyone could layer whatever they want on top of it. It doesn't belong to anyone. And that's part of the story as well. Hanukkah has many different meanings, but they're post facto meanings. They didn't it, the question is, why did they conceive of something that was meant to celebrate the end of Jewish civil war? the end of Jewish murder, the end of Greek domination, the end of temple destruction, the end of paganism, why did they conceive of that as a celebration of light? Of course, people will say, well, there was a miracle of eight days. I've always claimed that the miracle wasn't the eight days. The miracle was that they didn't make a war festival out of it. I think that there's a kind of mindfulness here in focusing on the light and focusing on the candles. Because if the backdrop is really there's this kind of underbelly of violence, judgment, um, civil unrest. Um, I don't like the way you do Jewish, so I'm going to kill you for it. If that's the underbelly, so perhaps the rabbis are saying, I want to focus away from that, especially given the record of the Maccabees when they came to power, which was disgraceful. They were bad. They were bad rulers. They were tyrants. They were killers. So given that that's the record, it's quite possible that the rabbis want to sort of subtly focus away from that. We were not going to talk about that because we're not too pleased about it. So we'll talk about candles. We'll talk about light. We'll talk about positive messaging, which is okay. And it, maybe it's a peon to the flexibility of creating Jewish holidays. There's a kind of a hush all over the world. And you know what I want to say to you, Elliot? Peter Noon. Hermits, hermits. Latkes burning on a smoky fire. Oh, that's Irving Berlin. Okay. It's Jewish, Jewish boy. No? Well, because all the Jews wrote the Christmas songs, right? Yeah. I think his mother was probably mad when he got candle wax on the piano, don't you think? I, I don't know. I don't want to be Freudian about Irving Berlin. I just think that, you know, he wrote oh, a great Freud. song. Now we're starting with Freud again. He wrote a great song. Ma'osur Yeshuasi. My daddy bought me a Christmas. What? Elliot, what's going on? Okay, so at the risk of somebody out there saying, okay, boomer, I'm going to tell a story about when we were kids because everybody in my generation has basically happened to, if you lived in the diaspora, which is like on December 24th at night, what did you do? You basically went out for Chinese food and you went to the movies, right? And why did you do this on some level? 
on some level you did it because deep in your head you thought like something big's going on. Families are having this really in, this Christmas thing, right? With the tree and the presents and the movies and the songs. We need to do something, damn it. We need to create like a fun evening because like we're excluded. We're on the outside. And there is this weird kind of envy it's not theological envy. It's not like anybody thinks about like the religious import of the birth of the Savior, if you believe in that. It's just like Frank Capra envy and Irving Berlin envy and, you know, Adam Sandler envy, whatever you want to call it, like this kind of like this fun thing that you feel you're left out of. It's like the party that you're not invited to. And why don't we make Hanukkah into that fun thing? Well, the answer really well, is even if we did, they don't often come together and there's a whole other layer yeah and it's faux let's face it it's kind of fake like you're trying desperately to make it like that but it isn't like that because it's not because because like the culture is because the like culture's that. not like that in right. israel hanukkah is like national right and in, and and in diaspora it's like who are you kidding but every falafel shop is selling donuts that yeah, night yeah, and, yeah you yeah, know yeah i mean you you it's a cholesterol heart and even attack even, even the even the christian hanukkah i mean the christian christmas feels more authentic because it's in Bethlehem you know it feels like you're Absolutely. At the, you're in the seat of everything oh, yeah. real yeah, yeah right yeah well I, so oh, it's it, the dilemma of a majority culture like what are you going to do so first of all what what is what would be your expectation of a Jewish population who are essentially liberal uh, and they've been raised to integrate themselves into society just enough that they are not outsiders and not too much that they lose touch with their origin and where do you draw the line? I mean, given those parameters, I think we do just about exactly what we should be doing, which we, is create a somewhat positive experience, like we've talked about at other times. You got some light, you got some food, you got family, you got friends. Whether this is all going to stack up in the long run and tide you over through the other forces that are pulling at you, the assimilationist forces, I don't know. You know, is a jelly donut going to wait off going to fight off the fact that you're like losing your Jewishness? Are you going to lose your Jewishness because you have presence under a tree? Oh, I would say probably it's gone at that point, no? I mean, we can consider the, the possible. We're not advocating one thing or another. We're, we're just talking about the concept. I just want people to understand that we're not suggesting that everything is okay. We just want to talk about it. And what I want to talk about is does having a ritual of Chinese on New Year, on, on, on Christmas Eve if that's your Christmas, and you're celebrating it around the majority population... Meaning, this is your Jewish Christmas. Right. Right. So, that's okay. It's okay to, to build your own new tradition based on being excluded or, or feeling excluded or not being able to participate authentically in the majority culture. Yeah, I don't know that we thought about it as okay or not okay. It's just like what you do. I'm saying that later on, as years passed, I thought about what what's the sort of unconscious vibration of all of this. It seemed to me like we were trying to compensate for something. Okay. And are, are we suggesting that celebrating a little bit of Christmas is going to diminish someone's Jewishness or it's just entirely inappropriate or we need to take a stand? Every year there's articles about why we need to take a stand, that it can't be the same... What happens if you put up lights? I mean, it's it, it's not contextual at that point. You know, like, what's the person's life? Where are they at? Uh, I, I'm not going to force them into a box of some Jewish living that they clearly are not interested in. On the other hand, you want to do your thing, do your thing. But what I don't like is when we rationalize choices that are clearly not 
particularly intense Jewish choice, and we're saying, no, that's fine, that's a, that's a way I identify Jewishly also. No, why don't you just admit like you're not that interested? The other thing interests you more? Fine. It's the dishonesty of the discourse that bothers me more than the choices people But creating a Hanukkah bush, you know. You'd rather have someone say, I have a Christmas tree in my Jewish home than say I have a Hanukkah bush? Look, I'm going to tell you a story. I got a lot. This is one, this is one of these situations was pretty rare in my career, but I, I got into a little bit of trouble at the time. I was giving a lecture, and we were, I think it was talking about um, um, Jewish marriage and intermarriage. This was like a long time ago. Attitudes were a bit different. But anyway, so this woman said something that's not that unusual. I've heard it before where they said, you know, my daughter married somebody who isn't Jewish. I might have it wrong. Maybe her son married somebody who isn't Jewish. But anyway, her kid intermarried. And then she went into this um, narrative about how that was the best Jewish thing that ever happened to her family because the non-Jewish partner was like more interested in Judaism than her rather alienated child. And how, how can I say, which I guess I had said, that intermarriage is not a good thing for the future of the Jewish people when she had living evidence that her child's Jewish life had been boosted by this intermarriage. So I said to her, <clears throat> so are you arguing that intermarriage, not conversion, intermarriage is a good long-term strategy for boosting the Jewish fortunes of the Jewish people? And more or less she said yes. So look, I just don't agree. I think that's disingenuous. I don't mind if you say to me, I made a private choice. I fell in love with somebody who's not Jewish. It means more to me than my Judaism. I totally get that, by the way. I get that. So this is what it is. But instead, what she tried to do is kind of have her intermarried cake and eat it too. It's like, not only did they do this thing, but you know what? It's actually better for Jesus. Okay, so that, that, <clears throat> that is common in so many life stories where people are trying to remake reality. And, and that, could be, that could be, you know, the, I wanted them to become a lawyer. They became an artist, and that's actually better. Yeah, like, there's all kinds of stuff. I don't want to make it sound like... That, for me, is a template for, for all of human interaction. I do want to talk, however, about the difference between the dilemma for someone who's Jewish who wants to celebrate some of Christmas or Christmas versus someone who's in an interfaith or intermarriage where they feel that this is the commitment they made when they started. And then, of course, there's a third aspect of it is what do you do if you're a convert and you feel you have to, as I believe you should, honor your family and at the same time, one of the primary family moments is Christmas. How do you manage that? And these are all complicated issues, but I think the fact that we're talking about it is an indication of the high regard we have for people's choices. No, agreed. And in a future podcast, we're actually going to be speaking to somebody who converted to Judaism. What does she do with this dilemma? For the moment, I just want to go back to a word you used, which is celebrate. So to me, this is the crux of the issue. When we say, like, I'm celebrating Christmas, this is also an issue for, for, for non-Jews. What do you mean you're celebrating it? In other words, again, are we thinking about this as a, are we respecting the deep theology behind this? Are we respecting the idea that this, we, that in a pure sense, we would be saying that this is the birth of the movement that revolutionized history and that your only salvation in this world is through this path of accepting Jesus Christ as your savior. So this person, if I said that, somebody would come to you like, whoa, you know, Elliot, like, chill. 
like that's not what it is, right? You 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 you've seen what it is. It's the 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 nice shop windows and the and the lights and the songs and the movies and, and peace and, and love and, and, and like whoa, like kindness. relax, dude. Like what's all this Jesus stuff? But so what ends up happening is because the whole thing has gotten diluted culturally. It's not a Jewish plot. It got diluted culturally, right? Because people are really not into the same level of kind of intense faith commitment that they may have been before. So now, because that's been diluted, so now everybody can celebrate. So I, as a Jew, am actually taking advantage of the fact that you, as a Christian, don't really think about this as the birth of the Savior who's like, come into my life and redeemed it, but rather just as a, a chance to, you know, have a good time and do Christmas things. Now, do I object to that? Do I object to the movies and so Not at all. I like them. I like them. But it's the fact that this is what's become the substitute for the real religion that allows Jews to enter in on that scale and enjoy it. And as you say, celebrate it. So serious What are you Jews, celebrating? You're celebrating a watered-down version of the real okay, thing. Okay, so serious Jews and serious Christians do not have anything in common unless they're married. In which case, the question is, how does a serious Jew and a serious Christian have a faith-based relationship? And the answer is it's probably very difficult. I would think. It's very challenging. I would think. But if you're not... If you have chosen a life path in which love takes precedence over form, right? Then, yeah, you're you're going to end up celebrating both, and you're going to need to celebrate both because that's the commitment you probably made. Right? You didn't you didn't commit one didn't commit to the other to give up the good stuff. Right. It's a real. It's, so the answer is we shouldn't be so judgmental of people who choose to celebrate the season. And there are many ways to celebrate and take advantage of the season without having to, as you say, worry about the Christ and Christmas. Right. I, I'm not. Look, I'm not judging anyone. You uh, love right, Christmas you know. music and movies. I, I know you yeah, do. 100%. I know. I, I don't. I know. I don't deny it. Uh, and I like. I like the the whole thing. I like the Gregorian chants. I, li- I like the whole thing. Right? I love Midnight Mass. I love right. the. I love all of it. So the question is, how do we deal with it? Especially if we have to add into the mix what would happen in, 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 in history on Christmas when Jews were often quite scared for their lives, right? right? right. But you see, partly I love it because I'm totally not threatened by it. Right. I love it because I'm so rooted in what I do Jewishly that I can enjoy this um, and it's not, I, I don't feel like I've rearranged my my Jewish values. It's like, it's like when the Jehovah's Witness guy comes to my door, which happened numerous times when I lived in this country. I don't mind talking to the guy. I don't have to slam the door in his face. He's not going to make a sale. Right. Right. So you want to like, you want to spend an hour talking about the Encyclopedia Britannica of Jehovah's Witness? Fine. Because nothing's going to happen here. So I don't need to get, you know, I met Jews who get really ornery about this. Like he came and it was like such a chutzpah that he came to my door and I thought to myself, you don't feel good in your Judaism. Because if you felt a little bit better, you'd probably be a little bit more patient with it. You'd probably not feel like, oh my God, because like nothing's going to happen here, right? So it also depends on like the relationship you have with the other is also immediately predicated on like, what do you think of your own thing? The issue, though, is that if we, if, if permission were granted from wherever the permission-making body is to have an open celebration in which you pick and choose your comfort level, the slippery slope argument kicks in in which suddenly it's like, oh, 
there that's the end of Judaism because Christmas is always going to be more interesting. Right. Well, I don't know. I think or my, I always remember Reinhold Niebuhr's uh, quote: "Frantic orthodoxy is never rooted in faith, but in doubt." And that's what really strikes me is I think we'd be a lot better off if we took a chill pill, let families that are intermarried and interfaith figure themselves out without judgment. It's not easy to watch for everybody, but it's it's necessary. Converts have to figure their 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 commitments out. And the Jewish community should not have a double standard in which we all secretly participate, or many of us secretly participate in the joy of the holiday. And then when we're confronted with it, we, that's not okay. It's the beginning of a slippery slope. It's uh, it's sort of, uh, it's it's not not paying loyalty to our, our, our ancestors by enjoying Christianity. It's a mistake, I think. I think we can go even one further than what you're saying. I think that instead of, uh, you know, treating intermarried couples like this, uh, you know, elephant in the room, we could actually say, let's let's talk. Let's Let's talk. Let's learn. Um, let's engage. How do you manage you know, it? You know? How do you deal with it? I'm not speaking here on all of those like political questions in synagogues. Do they give them an aliyah? Do they become a member? Do you no, marry no, them? I'm no, not talking about no. any of that. I'm talking about just, just about human a straight existential level. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's learn. Let's dialogue. Let's ask questions. Let's let's talk about uncomfortable questions and uncomfortable answers. But let's talk about it. When I say open fire, what do you think? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Elliot, we're done. I'm sorry for screaming at you for the last half hour, but it was... I learned something. That's okay. I don't mind you screaming. Did you learn anything? I learned that you scream at me a little bit. (laughs) I want to thank everyone who listened. Please send us your feedback at hello at livingjewishly.org. We would absolutely love to hear from you.